Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. As always, please subscribe and share. In this episode, we once again have on friend of the show, Mary Kay Ryan, anthropologist, Chinese medical doctor, shamanic practitioner, teacher, mother, grandmother, and friend to many. She and Eric ask, why are people in general and spiritually inclined people specifically so reticent or downright unwilling to talk about spirits and ghosts? How did spirits get even taken out of spirituality? They also ask, how do we and or different cultures feel about what happens after death? And how does that affect our thoughts and feelings about ghosts and the afterlife? What do we think spirits even are? And why is Halloween associated with ghosts and spirits? This episode was recorded just before Halloween, so allow yourself to be transported to that time of year when the spirits are beginning to flow as the leaves turn and we bring our attention and energy inwards after the exuberance of summer. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow Juneteers, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist, as you will all have already have heard from our introduction, we are back with the wonderful and friend of the show, Mary Kay Ryan. Thanks so much for, so, thanks so much for coming back, Mary Kay. You're welcome. Excellent Thank you. to see you again. It's always a it's always an enjoyable and thought provoking conversation, you know, for me for sure, and listeners love it as well. So, uh, unfortunately, today we'll be missing uh, uh, one beloved Daniel Domalekny, our, our partner in podcasting and and spiritual shenanigans. Uh, he couldn't make it today, but he wanted us to continue on uh, for a special episode that we were doing that is very timely. Uh, I'm going to use the tagline that you sent me, Mary Kay. <laughs> <laughs> which okay. is let's put the spirits back in spirituality it's halloween and the spirits are among us so we really wanted to talk about this subject matter now because of the the timing of the day and the timing of the holiday uh which uh i have heard pronounced as sewing but you taught me the correct pronunciation from your experiences in ireland it's not sewing it is how did you say it again sewing Keep in mind, though, Ireland has many dialects within it, uh, that is to say, accents that are so thick that you it's hard to understand them from one area to another. So there could easily be people, perhaps up north, who might say so and so and. Yeah, we were also talking a little bit about, this is a little bit about Wicca, too, and uh, we're, I, I, I love all these great you know, old T-Rex songs, bang a gong, get it on, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Mark Boland songs. And he has all these songs about Beltane, which is the opposite holiday, which is sort of, it's would the more frisky holiday with maypoles and <laughs> like things like that. But you told me that was differently pronounced too. I think something like Beltane or something. How did it's you do that one? Bealtina. Bealtina. Well, I just, that was a swing in the mist by me for sure. <laughs> That's okay. Well, it's, this is, we're here to learn. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's good. Uh, it's good we get to do this. Uh, uh, so thanks so much, Mary Kay. Okay, so the way this episode turned out was really interesting for me. Uh, I do outlines on a certain number of episodes, a decent number of them, but this was one where uh, Mary Kay really suggested the subject and was so nice even to kind of suggest the directions of the questioning. And I read her questions. I thought, well, this is great. So I did very little changes on this. I just thought we'd get the ball rolling, just considering the questions that Mary Kay was uh, talking about addressing, which are fascinating and awesome. So I guess we'll jump right in. So the first question you bring up uh, is this one. And uh, I think it's really thought provoking. I'm, I'm interested in hearing your response. And I, I think I'll add my two cents too. So the question is, why are people in general and spiritually inclined people specifically so reticent and downright unwilling to talk about spirits and ghosts? How did the spirits get taken out of spirituality? So I guess I'll throw that to you first, Mary Kay, and I'll kind of like maybe jump in as it goes. Well, I thought a tremendous amount about this, um, as I am wont to do. And um, I think that this, that um, there are a lot of reasons that occurs in the present. And the largest one being that um, it's not uh, considered legitimate. It's not, it's not, um, I don't want to use the word kosher since it's an actual religious word, but it's not considered legitimate. And people who talk about such things as if they're serious are not to be taken seriously. And um, so the question would be, how did that happen? Well, there are two parts to it. One is, for the vast majority of human history, people believed in spirits and ghosts. So how did it happen that now we're not allowed to, or at least we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to do it in public or out loud? And the other thing that's very funny is I've read an awful lot about this. And they say that 60% of people have either had an experience with the ghost or know someone close to them who has. And by the by, in case you think it's old people, I just saw a statistic this morning that in fact, the likelihood that you will report having had ghost experiences goes down with age. It's actually higher uh, among people who are 18, 19, 20, and so on. And go, so by the time you get to the 60s, people are saying that they don't have those experiences. Now, I don't know if that's because they didn't have them or because they don't want to be embarrassed anymore by people kind of laughing at them. So, so you have this very interesting thing where people have these experiences, but they're afraid to talk about them because they think uh, they're going to be laughed at and ridiculed. And I had a friend, Papillon, who was a um, shamanic guy, and he used to do, he was a ghostbuster. And uh, that was his shamanic work. And um, he uh, would go into parties and deliberately say, I saw a ghost once just to see, of course he'd seen many ghosts, but I, just to see what the response was. And first he'd say, what do you guys think about ghosts? And everybody would laugh and act like, ha ha ha, and isn't that ridiculous? And then he'd say, I saw a ghost once and the whole room would change. And people would say, really? Because I think I saw a ghost once. It's like they just needed permission to talk about this thing they wanted to talk about. So that's in the moment. Historically, it's about a four or 500 year shift. Um, it starts kind of at the beginning of capitalism in the uh, around about the 15th century. Um, it, it 
continues with the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, the Age of Reason in the 17th, 18th, 19th, the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution. All of these things come together to um, focus us on uh, away from those kinds of experiences and to make them non-legitimate. And I can, if you want me to, I can tell you why I think that happened, but we don't have to talk about that. But there are very specific ways in which those experiences became non-legitimate um, and that are related to all those things I just said. So probably we have a little fascist uh, uh, capitalist Protestant uh, age of reason person living somewhere in our head saying, uh, don't, you know, don't talk about this because only crazy people talk about this. I was thinking about Mary Kay in the prep for this when I was reading these questions and I thought of our conversations in previous episodes. And one of the themes was sort of how do you learn? And one was learning from experience and the other was learning through more being told, I suppose, that you're supposed to believe a certain thing, right? More like yeah. maybe an enculturation thing. And so when I was thinking about it, yeah, I suppose if you've had an experience, you might feel differently about this. But think, I think for a lot of people, it's more covering from the place that you've been told to think a certain way. I probably have a certain kind of like, blame it on the scientific materialist worldview kind of a vibe in my personality. Yeah, <laughs> so that's probably coming out. But you pretty know. legitimately. Not that, yeah. not that that worldview has no value. Of course, it does have some value. Everything has dark and light side, as I want to say. Yeah. But we can certainly pin this unwillingness to talk about spirits and ghosts on the, on the materialistic, rationalistic worldview. So what I always find really fascinating about that, and it's a little bit of a tangent, but not totally, which is that when the people I know who are scientific in a certain way will say, well, they can see this at work in their daily life. They see that their cell phone works and they see that their laptop works and they see these evidences of the quote unquote scientific mindset working. So that's their experience. I always feel like the more uh, non-materialistic claims of like modern uh, science, especially physics, because I happen to love that subject matter, things like relativity and quantum mechanics and quantum field theory, those things don't like, they are just not known to people. So there's this idea that everything is this like very materialistically placed made up of little tiny little billiard ball particles or something like that, you know, but like, you know, something like relativity would tell you that the, the time is moving different on the ceiling of your place than it is on the floor. It's moving at different rates in different parts of the universe. And, <laughs> Whoa, you know, yeah, cool. and like <laughs> things are like connected across space with like nothing, you know, like quantum entanglement stuff. Like things are just connected and no one even knows how it works. <laughs> yeah, and, and string theory is telling us that there are at least um, hypothesized to be multiple realities. Yeah, now people dimensions. will tell you, mm -hmm. yeah, multiple dimensions, um, which we call worlds. But the point is people will say to you, well, yeah, but that's at a very molecular tiny you know that's not in the big world where we live that's on some uh, minuscule level that we don't live and my answer to that is electrons have almost no mass they are mostly activity but when you put enough electrons together with a bunch of protons and neutrons you get stuff so everything is going on at a very small level and when you put enough of that as it says in this novel i wrote when you put enough of that 
nothing together, you get something. And so I think that just begs the question and is a way of sort of getting out of the implications of string theory, um, which by the by, I read a book called How the Hippies Saved Physics. It's a great book. Um, and it was really about all these guys who were physicists uh, after World War II who um, kind of started literally going to Big Sur and dropping acid and thinking about physics only um, they couldn't get any jobs, but they, uh, Niels Bohr changed his family crest to the Taiji because he saw the implications of what he was saying. And all these people went, oh my God, if this stuff that we're saying is real, reality itself is up for grabs. Time is up for grabs. Material realities up for grabs. Now, needless to say, they couldn't get jobs saying stuff like that. And that was a problem for them. Ooh. Believe they it or not, Mary Kay, cabs and stuff, you know, I actually had, uh, I haven't read it yet. That book is on my reading list. Great <laughs> book. It's actually available from like the Chicago Public Library. They don't have almost any books available like that you can get as an audiobook on physics at all, except that one for that some one. reason. And the funny thing is, so here you have, I think of them as electrons. All these men kind of walking around, driving cabs, talking about stuff. People probably thought they were, you know, talking to the people you couldn't see. And who pulled them together? A woman, a woman graduate student. She was like the nucleus. And she got them all to come and start meeting with each other. And now we have cell phones. Because so she was cell like phones the, uh, the Sophia, uh, the Sophia of the group, or something like that. Yeah, she was she the wisdom figure she that magnetized like, them together, yanked them all in, all these electrons, and made a real thing. And um, and now we have quantum mechanics that gives us cell phones. And by the way, couldn't have a cell phone without quantum mechanics. So there yeah, you so know. the the thing about it for me is that you know I think there's this idea that people want to live in this you know materialistically solid world as they experience in an everyday way or something like that. And, you know, so you say, well, science and uh, uh, way to go and my, my cell phone works and I can do this and that. But, you know, the more exotic claims, you just don't know, you're not presented at all in the culture, which is a little mysterious, <laughs> a yeah, little bit something yeah. to be suspicious of. And once you start opening the door to the possibility that there's more beyond just the mundane things around you, well, then you open the door to a lot of stuff, right? including, right. you know, uh, experiences with spirits and spirituality and things that, you know, don't fit into the way you want to frame everything like it's little tiny little bits of billiard ball particle stuff or something, you know? Yeah. So right. we had on uh, Dean Radin. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Mary Kay. Is that a name that rings a bell to you? Um, not offhand, but tell okay. me what he thinks He's and that might help. Fascinating, fascinating person, fascinating character. So he does a lot of research into psi, like psychic phenomena. And um, so he was on, and we didn't specifically ask him about spirits, but he did do studies on uh, mediums, people like, to see if there were people mm -hmm. who could know things about people who had you know, already passed away that they had never met. And he found that there are people who could do that in his research as a scientist. Right. He works for like the Noetic Institute. So he right. has these cool studies. And I, I just wanted to remind maybe people who are regular listeners of this, or you know, if you haven't heard it before, it's pretty cool. So basically he has studies where he says that the mind can maybe influence things like quantum mechanics experiments, like the double slit experiment. People can mm -hmm. focus on the experiment and change the results. Right. Ooh, cool. <laughs> and then he also has Weird. this other research that talks about people who seem to know, uh, to seem to be able to contact 
you know, uh, uh, the spirits of people who have already passed away and they just know stuff about them. So, you know, that could be science too, but of course that you can never pay attention to being science because that would be uh, verboten, right? That's well, I have a really, I have a really interesting book. I don't recall the name of it, but it summarizes basically all the research that has been done on uh, various, what we call paranormal uh, kinds of abilities over the last 50, now it's probably 70 years. And one of the points they make is that in general science, in regular, ordinary, everyday science, um, it's supposed to be that, that uh, your results are reproducible. But the fact is that hardly anyone ever reproduces things. And the reason they don't is who the hell wants to do some other guy's research again, right? That doesn't get you a, a promotion or, uh, you know, or your name in the National Academy. You got to do your own stuff. But psychic phenomenon, because every time they study it, it gets criticized, the model gets criticized. So they change the model and then it gets criticized and they change the model. And it gets, he said, probably psychic phenomenon are more researched than any other phenomenon. And more times have people fine tuned their model and reproduced results than any other kind of research because they're under this kind of constant onslaught. And in the book, they, re they tell you, all these various hundreds of studies, because of course been thousands at this point. Um, so, but the point, you know, I'm sure you had to read Thomas Kuhn when you were at the University of Chicago. It's kind of- Oh right. yeah, 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 you have to. And, <laughs> and what he said, he and Evans Pritchard who wrote Witchcraft and Oracle Among the Azande, what Evans Pritchard said is when you're in a closed system, the whole thing is you can't criticize it. Because when you try to, people will merely write off your criticism as, um, well, you just, you don't quite get how it works, or, well, the reason that happened is thus and so. And the whole thing about science is it's not supposed to be a closed system. You're supposed to be able to get in on it and say, but wait, that's not, um, that can't be correct because of thus and so. But in fact, what Kuhn argues is, so that's, the Azande, you couldn't uh, criticize their oracle system because every time you did, they had some way they could tweak it so that it took, um, it deflected your criticism. Ah, and the okay. same is true for science is that when you try to say, I've had people scream at me, literally yell at me in public because I said, well, have you ever actually looked at any of the research? Because there's been a lot of research done on these, these various phenomena. And they said, no, there hasn't. And if there has, it wasn't legitimate anyway. I mean, they really got nuts. And I thought, okay, never mind. I, I'm not, it's not religion. I'm not, I'm just saying there's a lot of really interesting research out there. Now, I don't know about the research about ghosts per se, just to bring it back to well, you know, just like primary uh, topic. For but, Dr. Raiden, he had like a really interesting anecdote in the book. And this is like something I thought I would bounce off you when I was doing the prep for this. So he was doing these work, this work with these mediums. It's like a small part of his work. And he's into the thing that you're talking about too, where we can kind of aggregate all the studies together 
Yeah. You know, and his idea is like, God, if you pull all these things together, the statistical power behind this is massive. It's massive. <laughs> it's crazy massive. And like he says, it's like, you know, all these sigma to the, you know, to the yeah. proof of the positive, but you just can't get anyone to listen to it because, of, right. you know, Thomas Kuhn is really famous for this phrase, like paradigm shift. That's where that thing right. even comes from. Right. Right. And when you're in a paradigm, you just kind of like you work within that paradigm and if things threaten it, people get up in arms. <laughs> like, I guess what you personally so experienced. So you know? let me quickly, because I think we need to know what is that paradigm. So I said that these things like capitalism, Protestant Reformation, Age of Reason, and so forth, brought forth certain kinds of ideas. So let me just read you this list. It's not very long. Um, it caused a separation from the land and the natural world and a move to crowded, um, ice alienated urbanization in which you did not actually know your neighbors and you certainly did not have connection to the natural world. It shifted religion from a communal spirit world focused endeavor to an individualistic and material world focused endeavor. Um, these, these events focused on this world rather than the next or any other world. They focused on the knowable rather than the contemplation of the mysterious. They focused on material gain and profit to the material in the material world, rather than the amassing of spirit, spiritual credit for the next. Uh, they worked as an end, uh, work became an end and a good in itself, rather than a necessity. Um, the focus was on disciplined behavior rather than spontaneous life. And this is really important, the controllable rather than the ungovern ungovernable, the knowable rather than the mysterious, the rational rather than quote superstitious, imaginative, emotional, ecstatic, or intuitive, and the scientific method as opposed to other non-rational forms of procuring knowledge. And when you put all those together, they do result in some things, right? The, the Industrial Revolution did some good things. We know it did some bad things too. But yeah. um, I think that when you put all those together, you and and I think people don't understand how culture is promulgated. It's not like people sit you down and say, this is what you should believe. That is not how it works. I had kids, you had kids. You're inculcating cultural values every minute. It's by how your face looks. If your child says to you, as mine did, mom, I heard voices. And she's looking at your face to see how you respond. If she sees a, uh-oh, look, she's gonna pick that up. You don't have to say a word. She'll pick it up. Dad doesn't like that you know, and let alone if you actually say, rush her off to, you know, the loony bin to get checked. So, so anyway, I think this answers the question, why don't people want to talk about this? Because they're afraid that they will not be taken seriously, that they will be considered superstitious, foolish, gullible, old-fashioned, irrational, primitive, character, um, a member of the lower classes and of other races that supposedly still believe this, an artifact of earlier stages of human society, ideas held by the uneducated um, and, and opposed to the rational. That's how you will be seen, apparently. 
But the odd thing is, everybody doesn't feel that way. So we sign on to a thing that we don't actually necessarily agree with. And that's the thing about culture, is that culture can really fly in the face of your actual experience. And then what do you do? An interesting part of this whole podcast endeavor that Daniel and I are trying to do, because we're trying to present different kinds of materials, but one of the themes that keeps coming up is you have to be able to question your culture. You know, because the culture will have done exactly what you're talking about. And you need almost like a little, I don't know if you want to say Keanu Reeves matrix moment experience to get out of that a little bit, right? You need a little bit of a Gnostic experience where you have an insight to go like, well, maybe this isn't exactly right. And maybe I can challenge it. And maybe I can challenge it in all kinds of ways over time. Which is why we're going to tell a ghost story later. (laughs) I I got a doozy. I've got a lot of doozies, but this is my favorite one. Maybe. So it's a, it's a, it's a great point. And I think it functions the one thing you bring up and I'll just, you know, we'll move on to our next question, I guess, but you know, uh, uh, for the interest of time, though, this is a fascinating one, but like, to me, you bring in, I thought about science as we were heading into the, the episode, I thought, well, okay, there's a religious aspect to this too, because, you know, you need to have control mm-hmm. over the spirit world under yeah. whatever the dominant religion is of the culture. So no one else gets to see anything <laughs> except what we you tell know you. How many- do you know how many times I looked this up today? You know how many times it says in the Bible that you are not to have any truck with the dead or do any kind of um, knowing through uh, what we might now call paranormal means and they call sorcery? 100 mentions of not thinking, doing I that. I think it was in the hundreds that would have been around my ballpark figure. <laughs> yeah, it's a hundred. That's a lot. So this just, this, I feel that monotheism um, is very frequent, at least the three big ones we know of have a huge component of control, as we know. Um, And again, I'm not saying there's nothing good about them or have no interesting values or anything, but there is a huge sense of control and conformity, and they do not want you to have direct access to things that might be powerful. Um, Now, maybe there's some good in that. Maybe part of it is that it's dangerous because sometimes it is a little dangerous, but I don't think that's the primary reason. I think that's a reason. But the other part that you bring in is is that, okay, I thought about the science and I thought about the religion, but you tied it into the capitalistic thing too, just to be honest about before we close the book on it, because a suspicious person would start to go, wait a minute. This is right. adding up in a very, uh, a very particular way. <laughs> right, right. Did <laughs> these guys have an agenda? Me, <laughs> direct me towards working in a like a, in a, a mundane setting and things that probably aren't too rewarding to me, but I got to do it because it's a virtue of itself. And if I try to go outside of some particular paradigmic way of seeing the world, well, then we got to close the door on that for sure. Right. Right. So, yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. Thanks for bringing the capitalist thing. And I hadn't actually thought about that when I was doing my, <laughs> my little prep contemplations. And that really does tie it together. Yeah. So, because it, capitalism separates you. Um, it, it turns you into a profit making machine, or at least that's the ideal. And, or you're, and everybody aspires to be one of the billionaires, according to the ideology. And in order to focus on that, you have to disconnect yourself from everything, people, nature. Um, you have to disconnect yourself. And also imagination is not valued. Now, they say it is. We're the creators. That's what the guys in the top say. That's not actually accurate. Um, I'm sure some of them are very creative, but um 
just like some people who are not at the top are very creative, but it does not um, value a certain kind of, and I'm saying this and I, I can just hear people going, wait, what about all those people in Silicon Valley? Aren't they really creative? So yes, it's, there is a, there's always an other side to things, but at least early capitalism was not about imagination and creativity. It wasn't. Well, I mean, like it's it's a it's a creativity that's directed in a very particular direction. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if it's a creativity that like benefits some hierarchical right. corporate yeah. structure economically, well, then that's awesome creativity. Right. And, you know, and it's I was in uh, I was in uh, Italy. I think it was in Venice, and they had a T-shirt that had like John Lennon. I want to say Einstein. I can't remember who the third person was off the top of my head. It might have been Gandhi. <laughs> And then Steve Jobs. And I was like, what oh my the God. kind of a quartet is that supposed to be? Yes. One of those guys deserves to get kicked out of the band. Right. Which of these <laughs> things is not like the other one. <laughs> yeah, it was so weird. I thought, what a crazy shirt. Okay. Yeah. So be and before yeah. we proceed, I think maybe we should talk for at least a minute about uh -huh. Samhain. Uh, given okay, that yeah, that's yeah, let's do it. Yeah, is that it. okay with you? Yeah, like I had it down here. So I think one of your questions is, why is Halloween associated with ghosts and spirits? And that's the perfect place to do it. That was one of your questions. Let's, yeah. let's jump it up. Okay. So Halloween, Halloween was originally Samhain. There are four, uh, we know there are two equinoxes and two solstices, but there are also the cross-quarter holidays. And they are Bealtaine, Imbolc, Lunasa, and Samhain. And they are in between the equinoxes and um, solstices. So, um, so they're, they're in between moments and the Irish. You know, Mary, Mary Kay, just for a second, I'm going to channel Daniel for a second. So sure. just for people who don't know a lot of this timing stuff, you have equinoxes where the days are equal, and then you have the, where and the no. days are at their longest or at their shortest points. That's what Mary Kay is referencing. So sort right. of like the Sorry. calendar of the year. Now it's not, it's not a big deal. You know, some people know it, some people don't though. Right. So, okay, so, cool. So in between those, and we know those were hugely important, the solstices and equinoxes, because there are literally um, various monumental building things all over the world, not just Stonehenge, everywhere, everywhere, South America, China, you name it, there were things that were built as um uh, with the solstices and the sun comes through at a certain moment in the winter solstice and all that stuff. But what we don't talk about as much are these cross-quarter holidays. And at least to the Irish, and I'll just speak about the Irish now, but I think this is true of the Celts in general, is that um, they love the in-between things. The, what the anthropologists call the liminal. That is to say, it's, it's, not, it's neither here nor there. It's betwixt and between. It's not quite this world, but not quite the other world. They love that stuff. And that's the place of creativity. So Samhain is, it literally means uh, summer's end. And it is considered by, in Celtic mythology to be New Year's. This is the beginning of the new year. And that's for those of us who are used to it being in January, which is still pretty weird. Why is it January when it's freezing cold and nothing's starting? Nothing at all. It's not like spring. You'd think New Year's would be in spring, right? That that would make sense. The reason it's Samhain is not there, it's here, is because it was thought in almost every ancient tradition that I can think of that life begins in the darkness. 
right? In the Bible, what does it say? Darkness is on the face of the deep. That's the first line, practically. In Taoism, what is it? There's this yin, unmoving, still, dark thing, which then is infused with yang and starts to move, and then the universe comes out of it. In birth, you're born out of a womb. It's pretty dark in there, you know? So there's a still darkness. And if you're outside right now, which I've been, you look out and you see that, yes, everything's, quote, dying back, which is to say it's getting brown, it's going into the earth, it's pulling in and so forth. But what's happening are the seeds are setting right now. So, in fact, the seeds are because the plants fall over with their seeds, and that's part of how they get set in the ground. The other thing is really interesting, which this is probably partially because the weather's unseasonable, but I planted all these things in the garden thinking I'll see these next spring. That's what I was doing. I was moving them to places I wanted to be. Well, guess what? They all started growing. So right, isn't that weird? My yard is full of things that are growing right now. Now, partially Mm -hmm. that's unseasonable wet weather, but so you've got falling leaves and dry, you know, all the fall things. And right next to it, you have this indication of life. So it is a betwixt and between time. So the idea was that when life and death are, and by the way, um, the Celts also felt that death was the beginning of life. Hmm. Um, The other world and this world are mirror opposites. So whenever anything dies in this world, it's something's being born in the other world. And whenever anything is born in this world, something's dying in the other world, which so if we get rid of the world, we're die, we're basically exchanging people between these worlds. So, which is kind of, you know, what lots of people believe. If you believe in reincarnation, that's basically what you're saying is that when you're reincarnated from some other world. Um, well, in any case, growth and development continues. Just because something is ending here doesn't mean that something is right. the same thing isn't continuing someplace else. So it's a right. kind of a birth as well as a death, right? Yeah, I found yeah, this quote yeah. and I couldn't find it to, to repeat it to you, even though I hunted, which basically said uh, that the point of life was to honor the spirits, be courageous, tell the truth, and not to fear death because it is merely a point along the journey. It's just it's just a point in between two spaces. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of neat. So anyway, in Sal, no, Mary Kay, just before we before we go sure. on, to that, I wanted to say one other thing and get your opinion on it, because it was one of the things I thought about when we were going to discuss this. And yeah. I actually you're saying stuff that I I didn't know the mirror image thing. And I hadn't thought about the betwixt in between. I mean, that's very cool, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think like scale is interesting. And let me kind of like say what I mean. So, you know, a lot of times in this, you know, sort of more, I don't know, traditional or spiritual or whatever word you want to use way of looking at life in the world, what happens on a micro level is a mirror of what happens on the macro level and like vice versa. You can say right. as above, so below, right. things like that. And you were talking about like the actual birth of a human being. We come out of the womb and it's a dark, watery yin place. If you want to use some, you know, yeah. uh, Taoist and Chinese medical imagery, you know, <laughs> the yin is the water, the yin is the dark, the yin is that place that we all come out of, which is probably pretty pleasant. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so you come out of that space. And so, you know, there's, there's an idea that that's what's happening with the birth of a human being. And the logic goes, well, that's probably just a smaller version of what happens with the birth of everything. Yeah. including like a whole cosmos. So it, that idea is so powerful. And I don't know if 
our, our culture has that, a, that way of talking anymore. But once you see that's what's being said, it's like different levels of scale. And right. I think it doesn't seem t- scientific. Fractal. But I, yeah, it's fractal. It's, fractal. it's holographic, right? Yep. If you want yeah. to sound all modern and cool about it, it's the same idea, you know? And there's a great quote from the great physicist, James Crook Maxwell. I have not teach a class on this, you know, this stuff, physics for Chinese medical people, <laughs> which is fun for me. I taught right? that class. It was fun. It's fun. <laughs> And so you, you do it, and uh, James Kirk Maxwell says something like, nature is a novel, not a magazine, by which he means, and this is again, one of the greatest physicists, this is the, he's the reason you can have your cell phones, right? Because he came up with all the wave theory that lets you be able to do this stuff. And his point is that, you know, uh, nature and the universe has the same ideas going on different levels of scale in different places. It's a novel. The same things repeat in different places and different mm. ways. Mm. And it's not like a magazine where, you know, in the, you know, in the bad, in the good magazine, maybe they have an episode where it all, an issue where it all comes together, but a lot of it just kind of bounces around, right? That's not, that's not nature. Nature in the big sense, you know, repeats on different levels of scale. And I, I think that's just such an important idea because once that clicks in your head, you can start to see, oh, that's why they talk that way. You know, the fact that the weather's getting cold and things are kind of going to this hibernation, you know, that's kind of like, you know, they, I mean, I think what most people know about this holiday is the veil between life and death is thin. That's what you hear over and over again. Right, right. But, you know, nature's showing this in a way, you know, it's, it's, it's turning down in some ways, but the potential is building in other ways. It's like kind mm-hmm. of looks like things are falling away, but there's life in that too, just like your plants popping up in the garden. Right? Yeah, or in the yard. So I, I know that's just a really important idea to me. I, is that one really important to you? I just think it makes the whole thing make much more sense. Why? I think it's also for for Chinese medicine people, like you were saying, as above, so below. And my mind went as within, so without. And mm-hmm. as here, you know, and because we're talking about sets of opposites, and we know that sets of opposites are only oppositional in one way, but in another way, they're intercreational, and they are they define each other. We know all these rules about yin and yang, and so it makes it makes sense that um, there is. I saw it once in a journey, actually. You know, we for years and years and years and years, I taught five phases, and um, and you know, in the classical Chinese sense, not necessarily the Worsley sense, but- um, and These and, are all and, like, these are all like Chinese medical things, you know, that we're going through here. And, <laughs> so it's and the I, idea and of I, yin and yang philosophy and the idea that there's these five major phases. They're sort of like energies within the universe or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And they're related to the seasons and so forth. And in my head, it made sense because I knew that people used to draw their metaphors from the natural world and so on. And then I actually saw it in a journey. And it really, it, it, I saw this, I can't even describe it. I saw the fractalness of how the, how the five phases are set up. And it was like, I could see it on this very tiny level and the next level and the next level. And I can't, you know, it's like mystics who say they talk to God and then they can't tell you about it. But after that, I thought, wow, all that talking about the five phases, I wish I could have just put people into a trance and said, here, look at this. It's fractal. And I love the word fractal because that word was perfect. It was like a kaleidoscope in a sense, um, except one that kind of expands outward. It was really amazing. It was very cool. 
Yeah, all these the meditations. Question is, yeah. Do, go ahead. I'm sorry, Eric. Yeah, just all the meditations. I do the same thing. It's like, you know, in all of this, we'll talk about like Buddhist Tantra, I'm sure, at some point or another, but all these meditations, they they do different things, but some of them are getting you to appreciate the fact the fractal nature of things. They make yeah. you like contemplate it. And then eventually your mind just goes bunk and you start yeah. to just see it more and more. Yeah. Yeah. And you can just feel it. So, and so I just want to say about the ghosts and spirits, first off, it's not just ghosts, it's any, any being that is not of the material world is more available. Well, is that really true? I, I'm not sure they're more available. They're always available. They're around all the time. I think it's that we can see them better or experience them better than usual that's part one so it's more about us and we can travel to their realm better than we usually do so um may, maybe there something's different for them also i'm not really sure um so that's that's why halloween and by the way throughout a lot of at least medieval history um, one of the things that happened at Samhain was it was one of these inside out holidays where you could ridicule your betters, you oh, could, yeah, yeah. men could dress like women, uh, and so, and you could get by with that. Um, so it's also one of those uh, reversal of the natural order uh, kinds of holidays as well. Oh, I, lo I, love, is, I love that piece. I didn't know that. That's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, it's like Mardi Gras. The, the it's like out, Marty. the up becomes the down, right? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so, and that's, and so that means that the Halloween that we have, which maybe people are like real pagan purists or like, it's not serious. Someone's a serious word. No, no, actually, it's pretty perfect because you've got a bunch of people dressed as mythical characters and people from movies and boys dressed as girls and and on and on and on. So it actually is quite perfect. Um, and it's it's fine exactly as it is. Well, it does kind of like let off the cultural steam too, if you want to take it to that place too, just yeah. for a second or two, right? It gives you a chance to like make fun of your, make fun of the Lord and, <laughs> and express right. some part of yourself that otherwise we have to keep repressed. All those kinds of things are also true, right? Yeah, so right. That's a kind of, I, I kind of, I have a soft spot for those holidays. You know, Kabbalistically, you know, in uh, uh, Jewish culture, you have Purim, which is a day you get so drunk that you can't tell a good person from a bad person. <laughs> it's kind of a blurry line anyways, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Religions have to have this. Or you need they that will... little thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that gets to the question that you had. It was your question number three, but I think you got to it. So when you use the word spirits, what do you think that you ask? What do we think spirits are? So I guess that's the that's the next probably place this is flowing. Right. Uh, what do you, I mean, you're the, I'm going to throw it to you first, and then maybe I'll try to stumble through an answer of my own, which I don't know if I have a good one, <laughs> but I'll throw um, it to you first. Well, I think the spirits throughout most of human history have been thought of as beings that were not us. They were other, and, and they were from various realms. So some of them might be dead, but some of them were not dead. They were beings that had never been embodied. Um, and so so on and they were often not exactly human and so you have elves and and all that kind of stuff which by the way i know we think of elves as you know part of jr tolkien and so forth but um all that stuff was 
really deeply embedded in medieval culture and medieval medicine, by the way. There was a thing called elf shot, which was a way that, which is kind of like getting struck by wind in Chinese medicine. It means getting struck by something very suddenly. Um, and so anyway, the point being there were that the world was peopled by many, many non-materially embodied beings. Um, and when we decided that was not a legitimate belief anymore for all the reasons we've discussed, um, we started to use the word spirit to apply only to human beings. That, that is to say, we talk about our spirits and spirituality became, how can I improve or help or, or do something to my spirit? Um, but, but we didn't, at least in the legitimate circles, talk about other spirits, just ours. And then eventually it got very cleaned up. And then spirit, even your spirit and my spirit became some kind of metaphor um, or, um, or a psychological phenomenon, which is, you know, uh, a function of your brain uh, or biological patterns. So we took this, uh, first we individualized it, and, and then like we don't, we didn't talk about spirit of place anymore. And we uh -huh. didn't talk about the spirit of the community anymore, except in a metaphorical sense. And then we only talked about our own spirits. And then even those started to become somehow a function of physicality. So, uh, so that's the sort of, um, but that's not how spirits were thought of. You're kind of describing a process of like the curtailing of the idea to make it smaller and more narrow and smaller and more narrow. Right. And right. kind of like more, again, materialistic or something, like just kind of talking yeah. about what we're talking about earlier, just kind of go in that direction. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, and uh, I, I, I'm pretty insistent on this point, you know, because, you know, we both have taught traditional Chinese medicine. And when this idea of Shen, spirit comes up, yeah. I like to talk about this problem uh, and this whole question and say, well, listen, you don't have to believe it any particular way, but just realize that this wasn't just some kind of psyche that you had that was generated by the activity of your brain or something like the way which we might think what, about it now, which is, which is what, what Bob Floss says it is in his book. Does he really? He says, yes, he does. Oh, because he's quoting the modern Chinese. And he's yeah. saying the Shen is the sum total of neurological and physiological activity caused by physical function. Well, that's terrible. It is terrible. And I always- That's just terrible. It's just terrible because that is so inaccurate. So this is just, just so people who aren't maybe uh, traditional Chinese medic medical people, Bob Flaws is a kind of a, a big fish, big fish in the smaller pond of traditional Chinese medicine. The way he owns a major publishing company, but produces a lot of textbooks. So that's what Mary Kay is decrying. <laughs> well, and no offense this, to yeah. him, because Machiocha, uh, who now is no longer with us, but yeah. he danced around the same thing. Like he kept going up close to it and then backing off and going up close. Because why? Because of what I said. Because it's not legitimate. And so they were trying to figure out. I don't want to use these terminologies because somehow Chinese medicine will not be legitimate if we start saying that your spirit is actually something that incarnates into your bot. Now, now we've lost all claim to legitimacy is the, is the concern. I don't yeah. think that's why Bob Floss did it. Um, although maybe, I don't know. But I think that's why Machiocha did it because I don't think Machiocha actually was certain that he thought that because I've read, you know, his voluminous tomes and and so i know how his 
thinking kind of goes back and forth. And as soon as he starts talking about Jing and Shen, um, he starts going, <laughs> he gets very fuzzy. And I thought, okay, Giovanni, I know what's going on here, man. You're afraid people are going to call you a ghost hunter, you know, that, that you believe in a non-legitimate thing, which is a beings that are disembodied in one way or another and are separate from human beings. So I think the thing in the end is like, even if you're going to be intellectually honest, you could just say there's a range of possible understandings and beliefs around these ideas. That's so let's true. say, let's say, you know, some people, if it's, if it's your thing to be, you know, a Richard Dawkins, everyone's a biological robot kind of a person. Well, then, you know, that's okay for you. Yeah, <laughs> you knock yourself out. Knock, knock yourself out. <laughs> Have a good time. See how Have it goes. Sounds that works boring for? to me, but go yeah. ahead. I'm not into it. But you know, yeah. if you're into it, who am I to say? Right. <laughs> you know, but you can have a range of ideas, which is kind of what this like comes down to. And what you're really saying is that when you get this thing where people feel uncomfortable to present a range of ideas and everything has to be bottlenecked for this one thing because you're afraid you're going to lose legitimacy or people are going to look at you askance, like that's a problem, right? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, I was thinking about this one for me, and this is the one question where I tried to get experiential on this. <laughs> Good. So, uh, what I, what, okay. So, for, uh, I, I was thinking, okay, how you and Daniel are shamans. So you probably think about this more than I do. And yet I do these Tibetan Buddhist meditations and rituals every day that create protection circles around spirits that are not supposed to interfere with me in my practice. I do it all the time, yeah. <laughs> like multiple times a day. Has it changed my life? Probably it has. Do I believe in all these spirits exactly the way a Tibetan person would describe it like verbatim? I don't know if I can say that or not. You know, I don't know. It's an interesting question. So I was thinking about it, but I went back in the time machine. I'm supposed to see this guy, I have an old high school friend and we connect occasionally. And it happens to be one of the times we're connecting now. And he was the first guy, you know, back in high school where we did the Ouija board <laughs> together. Ah. And this thing went crazy. And like, for me, I grew up in a household where my parents were really pretty scientific materialist people, you know, they're both ended up being kind of atheistic, they were raised Catholic, and they just walked, you know, like a lot of Catholic people do. Uh, in the basement of the house, the ground floor, uh, in their own little place were my grandparents and my grandma would grab, drag me to church every week. <laughs> and sometimes on a Wednesday too. <laughs> Uh -huh. So I look back and I was like, this is kind of an interesting thing, because I really had these two things being fed to me by the two sets of adults in the household, right? Uh -huh. My grandpa was like an old school guy who spent most of his time drinking, cavorting, so he had no interest in any of this, probably. <laughs> he had a, like a joie de vivre, let's live, uh, you know, merrily now, because who knows, there might be an accident in the factory tomorrow, and maybe I'll lose a body part. Oh, so you know, like, so this is my household, but my friend and I, we did the Ouija thing and it was really a funny experience because it was actually his whole family. For some reason, they all broke it out. And it was like, like a Sunday afternoon at some family get together at his place. And I was there and we started doing this Ouija board thing. And when my friend, Mike and I would put our hands on this thing, it just flew all over the place. And I remember looking at him going like, dude, are you doing something to this? And he was like, I don't know. And we just like, this was just our thing. It just flew everywhere. And then this freaking little Ouija board <laughs> started talking about me specifically for whatever reason. It just started going all this stuff. And it started saying that I was reincarnated. I had been born in Europe before and I was a musician and I got involved in radical politics and got myself killed. Well, okay. <laughs> and, and I was like, what the hell is this? And in a way, I was like, my friend Mike would never think of this, even if he could push this thing. Right, this right. There's no way he would come up with this stuff to say. Yeah. 
So this led into this weird thing, you know, as a lot of teenagers do, we played around with these things at different times. And a lot of it was just stupid. You know, some of it was just being horny teenage boys. And you would go, did so-and-so who lives on so such and such street, do they like me? And you just see yeah. if the spirit would answer you just something dumb. <laughs> teenage, horny teenage girls do the same thing. So yeah, yeah. Or maybe you're in love. Who's to say? You might legitimately be like have a legitimate sure. crush and be in love. Of course. Beyond the horniness. But it was uh, it was like that kind of a thing. And I look back on that set of experiences with a kind of a gratitude mm. because it kind of like, open the door for me to think, okay, that was weird. And I don't have an explanation for that in any scientific way. If I'm going to be honest about it, if I'm not going to be just like a dismissive person, if I'm going to take my experiences seriously, which I think we've talked about in previous episodes, I've always wanted to do that. I want to like experience the world and take it seriously, you know? And uh, so this is part of what I had to like really think about. And so there's a kind of a gratitude for that. Do I know entirely what that meant? And do I have a deeper theory of what I think that means from a very personal point of view? I don't know if I do, but I do. It did open certainly the possibility to realize, well, there's more beyond what Richard Dawkins or Carl Sagan would be telling me is right. possible. And so I guess that was my personal answer. Does that make any sense what I'm trying to say there? Sure, sure. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Do you have? Do a, I get a, to tell my ghost story now? Huh? Uh, huh? Oh, let's. I guess we'll save it for the closer. Why don't we do one other thing beforehand? But. Okay. Uh, do you, have a, do you have a specific model of spirits that you hold to? Do you have something personal? Do you think of it a certain way? Do you think of it like, like a, a Wiccan or like a, a whoever? Do you have a specific thing in your head around that? No, I'm, I'm a person who never joins clubs uh, of any sort. <laughs> or isn't there a joke about I wouldn't be a member of any club that would have me as a member? I think that's a Groucho. I think it's a Groucho Marx. Yeah, line. something like that. <laughs> um, because I find, see, I... Um, I'm what the native people call heyoka. Heyoka means I I just do the opposite to what people do a lot. Like heyoka are people who they're the ones who run out at a rodeo with a red cloth and try to attract the bull because they're willing to do it. And they just that's and so that was considered a sacred thing. Not that I'm sacred. I'm just saying that that was a sacred thing. It wasn't considered people who couldn't do what other people do were considered sacred because they infuse a difference that a very stable society actually needs to be healthy. So I'm kind of Hayoka. And so whenever I'm in a group, I can immediately start feeling um, what the conformity model is at like and there almost always is one and it doesn't have to be horrible it doesn't have to be that people are being mean or anything but there's like a, a like this is how we are in this group the only group of people i've ever hung around with who didn't do that were native people actually oh interesting okay where yeah, I yeah. felt like I was valued for exactly who I was and I was not being asked to be different at all it was very liberating and very um, disconcerting because I had never realized how much people's regard was contingent on conformity until I had the experience of regard that had no request for conformity at all. It was kind of amazing. Um, I was living with actually uh, one of the people who founded the original group called uh, Gay American Indians. She's passed on now, but... Um, so anyway, but so, so I'm not me, in any groups. I don't have any particular set model. My models have all to do with what I've experienced. I mean, that is to say my ideas of it are always about what have I seen? What's come to me? How did it look? How did it act? 
and so on. Um, and what I can say, uh, I don't know if people are Trekkies out there, but the very first episode of uh, Star Trek Second Generation is called Farpoint Station. And it's the one where Q appears. And there's this great line in it where he's doing all this weird stuff and making things appear and disappear. And so he's so kind of like, uh, Q is kind of like an all powerful being almost. Yeah, in that exactly. Thing, right. Okay. Uh huh. And they're mad at him because he's doing this, but he says the greatest thing. He says, you wanted to see the wonders of the universe? Well, here they are, deal with it. it it's Great. awesome. And he's saying, you have a very paltry, pathetic, small idea of what the wonders of the universe actually are. And that's kind of been my experience doing shamanic stuff is, wow, okay. Holy Moses, I didn't, you know, know things worked like that or that 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 kind of being existed or anyway. And so you know, Mary Kay, that's been the thrill for me too. All of this spirituality stuff has been like, whoa, wait a minute, the world is a little bit different than I thought. There's an exhilaration. Or a in lot that, right? different. Or a <laughs> yeah. lot different. Or a lot different. <laughs> or different yeah. in pieces or something, right? Yeah. yeah. That, that builds up to be, yeah, a huge difference. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I got so a couple of things maybe. So but, that's oh, it. No model, just experience. Totally move on. I, I'll say one thing personal, and then maybe I'll throw it back to you just a little bit um, to hear one other part of this. So for me, I think this was what Zen and Tantra was about, what you're talking about. I, I wanted to have a spirituality, just to use that word in the big sense, that uh, was um, nonconformist in the sense that it allowed individual people to express who they are. You know, that was very important for me. And I realized that in some ways that would put you at odds with cultural expectations, which is kind of what happens in the Tantras all the time. There's an acknowledgement that you might have to kind of break with parts of the culture because they won't fit you. And that's okay, you know, where a lot of times those be like that way of being can be kind of vilified, you know, uh, when you actually take the attitude that you're talking about, well, this is okay for me to do this. And if it's, you know, being seen as being negative, well, that's okay, because this is, this is, it's all right in the way I'm approaching my life. <laughs> Yeah. as opposed to feeling bad about it yeah. yeah so that was really like hugely important to me and I guess that's part of the idea of this podcast in the sense that one of our mottos is the one from Rumi that you have to like write your own myth right you have to be able to do this for yourself yeah mm. the other part that was deep to me is we did talk about some psychology last time we all talked uh, when you were on the podcast and I think that's a big thing for me even in psychology you know one of my favorite psychologists is Carl Rogers and he says until people can express who they really are there's going to be some risk of psychopathology there, right? Mm. Because you can't express who you are. And whether that's a cultural imposition, almost what you were talking about earlier, culture expects you to be a certain way. It doesn't jive with your experience. So there's some kind of disconnect inside of yourself, right? Yeah. In that way. Um, I just think that's a really powerful idea. So even if you're just talking about being psychologically healthy, it's hard to get to that place until you're accepted for who you are. I did, so I, a, yeah. I did a journey once a long time ago. We were about to undertake, me and some other people in this group, uh, which was a very small group, um, we were going to undertake some work together. And so we did an introductory journey about what do you have to say to us about I think it, I think it's been quite some time. And I think the question was, what do you need to tell us about each of to us about ourselves that we need to know in order to be able to do this work? I think that was the question. 
Um, and I went into it, you know, they say never take acid if you're, if you're trying to hide something, because that's the main thing that will be the theme of the trip. Well, I went into this thinking, oh, God, I'm basically going to be shown what a horrible person I am and how egotistical and um, how you're just doing this for your own reasons. You don't have lofty goals. That was what was going through my head. It was kind of scary. And so I was ready to be yelled at and to be chastised and vilified. And what happened, it, it actually always kind of moves me. These men showed up. They look like these like Celtic warrior types. And they said, Mary Kay, it's okay. We know who you are. <laughs> that was it. I, I came out of that journey like, oh, my God, I'm OK. I'm I'm not a whore. You know, all those yeah, things about me are not very important. Apparently, apparently, according to them, <laughs> that's not going to make you so you shouldn't do this work. or You can't do this work because you're you know, so broken or whatever. Well, you know, Mary Kay, I see that as a theme of the episodes that we've recorded together in all of our podcast episodes that you, that one, it's okay to transcend these sort of self-imposed negative feelings that one has. And they probably come from the culture too, right? I mean, I think that's been a recurring theme in our conversations together. And I think it's just fantastic. But you hadn't shared that story yet yeah, <laughs> about great, the journey. Was, so that's it awesome. It was really great. It was neat. Before we totally leave it, why do you think, you know, you were staying with uh, the founders of this group, you know, uh, uh, Native American people, and, uh, and they uh, just had a different attitude in these indigenous cultures. You know, why do you think they're able to maintain that? What do you think that's about? Is that just because there's a different cultural organization and there isn't the pressures that you might have in a kind of a, the kind of culture that we've been describing that's a little bit more capitalistic, materialistic, hierarchical, um, competitive. Is, it, is that the thing or what do you think? I don't that? know exactly. Um, I think, I mean, I can make up some stuff that's probably has some truth to it. Uh -huh. um, I, and that is their cultures, I think, that go by their own, they, oh, okay. Another thing that happened with that same group was we were in a meeting with these white people um, about, uh, an incident that had happened. I had taken a typewriter out of their house so I could take it across the street to my house where the native people and I lived so that I could do this work on a newspaper. And the white people were very pissed off that I'd done this and uh, that I just, you know, who did I think I was and so on. It wasn't stealing. I just took it. We were all in the same project. Anyway, and so they were yelling at me and saying, why why did you do this? And I said, I'm sorry, I just don't feel good in your house. It's just not a place I want to work. I don't feel good there. And they said, well, can you give us some examples of that? The white people did. And I remember Barbara Cameron, she looked, she was a very quiet, she's Lakota. And when they speak, they mean it. And she looked and she said, don't ask Mary Kay to prove how she feels. What, what are you doing? Like it was just anathema to her that you would ask a person to bring an evidence for their feelings. And yeah, I'd yeah. never had anyone do that for me. I was like, well, because I was ready to try to prove my point and say that I had the right to feel this way. And she was offended that anyone would ask you to prove your feelings. And so, so that's, so there's that just, just that. Isn't sort of that... implies putting a different emphasis on one's own, on, on the inner world of oneself and others and respecting yeah. it somehow. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, something like and, that. And okay. intuition, imagination, all that stuff 
are valued and but not valued in the sense like I really value that they're just taken for granted. And so you don't have to argue for what's like if you I remember once I was at the Native American Center and uh, I was in the kitchen with a bunch of women who were cooking for a thing we were having and I was just hanging out and this guy walked in was this huge guy looked like a linebacker. Uh, Isn't that a big football player? I don't know. Linebackers are big. Yeah, (laughs) he was huge and he had very long black hair. It was a really big guy and he walked in and he said, whoa, what what just happened there? I feel really odd. And I thought, this is not a thing a linebacker is supposed to say. And then all the women, not one of them said, well, what do you mean? Or um, you're probably just tired or you're just hungry or you're just something. John Lennon is the one who said, be careful about that word just because it means they're going to invalidate what comes next. So, and so he didn't, he wasn't asked to prove that he felt odd or that, and it wasn't in, in, uh, attributed to nothingness, to unimportance. It was just, in fact, people were quite quiet. They just got quiet and listened to what he might want to say about it. So I think that there are many reasons that's the case. Uh, I um, One is this valuing of people's experience. The fact that difference is once you're in, this was my experience, once you're in, you're in. Now, Amazingly enough, Native people don't trust white people. I wonder why that would be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But for Uh some reason, I was always trusted very quickly. I have an idea. It's because I'm not a liar. And white people lie a lot. And I don't lie because I'm nothing like Native people. I talk too much. I'm loud. I'm boisterous. I'm I'm things that they just mostly aren't but they liked me. And I think it's because I was not a liar. And once you're in, you are fully in and you are accepted, but you're not necessarily going to get in just because you want to be in. Is like authenticity the right word for that? If the person feels you're authentic, is that the right way to put that? I guess so. I guess so. I mean, uh, we didn't discuss it much. I mean, I never asked them, so why are you the way you are? I, cause I was too busy enjoying, <laughs> enjoying it and feeling like, wow, this is, and the other thing I think is that from my experiences, native people actually value difference within that inness, within the group. If you're in, they value difference. They'll, they say things like, well, you know how she is. Well, you know how Mary Kay is. As opposed to, yeah, she's such a bitch. They wouldn't do that. They'd say, well, you know how she is. And everybody would just laugh and nod and say, yeah, yeah, you know how she is. And that's it, is that you know how Eric is. He's whatever it is they mean. And yeah. everybody kind of knows what you mean. And everybody kind of chuckles in a sweet way, not in a ridiculing way. It's a, it's a laugh that makes you feel included. You know? you know what's really interesting about that? I've been having these terrible text conversations with some friends around like political beliefs and what people think are going to happen in the United States. I don't want to have anything to do with this in in part because these opinions get so, these conversations get so inflammatory and people have such strong opinions. And I was just trying to make the point that like, it's okay. You think that that's fine. You know, like you got that belief. I'm cool with it. You know, if that's how you think it's going to be, I'm I'm fine with it. And it does piss people off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the of. irony. I've done the experiment before. I've gone like, that's awesome. You have your Christianity. I'm really happy for you. If it's that conversation, because I've had it and people right. get super mad at you. Right. <laughs> you right. know, 
I guess it's because they feel that it means that you don't agree with them and they have to argue with you more or something. It is strange. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. So maybe that's thanks. Thanks for sharing about that. I wonder about that because I think that value is so important. And if you have a whole community of people who are able to achieve that, you start to wonder, well, how can you reinfuse that or whatever the right word is into the, into our culture and our relationships with one another? I, I just want to say, I'm not at all trying to idealize native people or put them on some kind of pedestal. You know, they all have faults and some of the faults are very serious and so forth. These were just my experiences, not some truth about Native culture. I don't have any truth about other people's cultures. It was my experience. That's it. I, I think it's okay to say that one has one's experience with all kinds of different people and one can learn what's positive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The only thing that we, before we get to tell our ghost stories, <laughs> we had okay. one other question. Uh, the, well, the last question was you said something like, how do we and or different cultures feel about what happens after death and how does it affect our thoughts, feelings about ghosts and the dead? So I thought maybe that would be a cool one to talk about a little bit. And then ghost story time. And ghost but maybe story this is, time. But maybe this is interesting because I, I actually don't know what you think about this. So I'm, I'm curious. Well, the reason that uh, that came up is Daniel and I were talking about um, a friend of ours. I said, hey, let's have a seance on Samhain. And he said, well, our friend who I'm not going to name right now, he, he'll, he will not be in on that. And I said, oh, okay, why is that? And he said, well, because he's a Jew. And I, and I said, oh. And I thought, I guess I didn't know this. Um, he's an Orthodox Jew. And I, I said, oh, that's really interesting. That's, you know, that's fine. Um, but it's weird because he's a shamanic practitioner. So I thought, wow, he does a lot of weird stuff, but there is a line for him and this is it. I don't talk to the dead. So then he, Daniel and I started talking about people's different ideas about death. And then, of course, I had to run out and buy some books, which I did immediately and started reading them madly, uh, all about people's ideas of death. And let me thank you, uh, both you and Daniel, for reminding me why I did not go into anthropology. Oh, my God, these people are bad writers. Boring. <laughs> they can take the most interesting topic and make it boring. However, there were some quite good articles uh, in there once I hunted. Um, and what I found out in the course of researching this, both in the book and looking around, because Daniel and I were trying to guess, for instance, the Navajo when you die in your Hogan, they burn the Hogan down and they don't mention your name for at least a year. Okay, so hmm. that's one way to deal with death. And as Daniel said, and the Hindus burn the body and rub the ashes all over them. And the hmm. Christians up until recently used to bury the people all around the church. So you had to literally walk through a graveyard to get into the church. That's true in lots of parts of Europe. And then I found a group, this is my favorite. I think they're from... Madagascar. I'm really sorry. I've read about groups in the Philippines and so forth. Anyway, they're headhunters. Oh, no, not the headhunters. Sorry. These are the people in the Philippines. Um, and they keep the dead body in the house for years oh. because they uh, nowadays they treat it with chemicals to keep it from rotting. But back in the day, they used to use herbs. And they showed pictures in the film of little kids running up to their dead grandmother in her bed and patting her and saying, hello, Grammy, and yada, yada. So those are the extremes. The Navajo burn their house down, and these people keep the dead body in the house. And so Daniel and I were kind of wondering, I wonder why those, I mean, what are those differences related to? And 
And I don't have an answer to that after thinking about it for a month. I do not have a good answer to that. Um, I thought it would correlate to what happens to after death. Like if you think ghosts, the Navajo do think that ghosts are dangerous, um, that they are related to witchcraft a lot, um, and they really don't want them around. They want them as far away as possible. Interesting. Um, and other cultures don't quite feel that way. Um, so anyway, that's what we were. Um, you know what's amazing about that, Mary Kay? It's just at. the relativity of that. Like, you have a whole like, uh, what is it? The old like uh, Tony Perkins and the mom sitting the wheel just sitting oh, on the God. rocking chair and ah. <laughs> talking about Halloween. Uh, yeah, you know, like uh, that's all morbid and whatever. But you know, you can have a, another culture where I could my in my imagination see it might be comforting to have like. Uh, the the actual sort of remains of this person there and you could go up and say hey hi grandma how are you today and you that's, probably would talk to the, the person and it'd probably be very sweet that's what the <laughs> Which, people yeah. said about it when they asked about it they said it makes the acceptance of the death so much easier because it happens over a long time and yeah. uh and then the woman who was the anthropologist doing the interviewing said uh, to, kind of as a commentary, she said, I don't know if I'd want to have had my mother in the house or grandmother. She said, but I do feel like it was incredibly abrupt. She was here and then she was gone and her body was gone and everything was gone. So she said, I do sort of get this transition. And of course, the Irish and lots of other groups have the open casket thing. And yeah. part of that is so you can go through the transition of looking at the body and sort of saying that's mom, but not really right? You know, so you can kind of go through a, a process. And I like the open casket thing. I'm very old fashioned in that way. I don't want to look oh, at no, the box. Like my, my, uh, my experiences with that were open casket when I was a kid. I probably still are within my, you know, within my family. You know, there's that, there's still that kind of tradition. A little bit Irish on one side, a little bit East European on the other side. Yeah. We did do that. Yeah. But I, you know, my first real major loss was, you know, of, of an adult human being was my grandpa. And I think that's really true. Just the shock of it, even when you're a kid, like, oh, this person's yeah. completely gone. Just right. the enormity of that. So I could actually see how it would be psychologically healing to have like, okay, that's not the full of the person, but there's still this part. And it, I, I could even see that that would be psychologically good. And then you go through stages and eventually you would mourn in your ways, but it would be a little bit mitigated by still feeling this connection to the person in that way. I could see that being psychologically healing. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's episode with Mary Kay Ryan on putting the spirits back in spirituality. As always, please subscribe and share. Be sure to find us on Instagram at Gin and Tantra, on YouTube at the Gin and Tantra podcast, and feel free to email us at ginandtantra at gmail.com. We do appreciate the feedback from everybody, so thank you. For Eric, this is Daniel. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. I want you to get together. I want you to get together. I want you to get together. to get together.